This presentation is from Design Leadership 2020. Our next chat today, um, our next presentation comes from Samantha Yuen. Hello, Steve. Hi, Samantha. Good Thanks for joining you. us. Yeah. I'm going to hand over to you and, and let you entertain us for the next 30 minutes. Okay. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, Steve. And hello, everyone from Singapore. Um, I wanted to show one of my favorite buildings in Singapore, and that's the Golden Mile Complex. Uh, it's a brutalist building, and I love the architecture. It also houses uh, our little Thailand and, and our first indie cinema. So, so yeah, hi from Singapore. Very nice. Share my screen. So I'm going to talk about growing design rigor uh, through user self. Let me get rid of the panel. So it's a bit strange not to see your faces and I'm looking forward to reading the comments and questions um, after the talk. So uh, I'm Sam and I'm principal designer at, oops, what's happening, at GovCheck, um, specifically uh, Government digital, digital Services Singapore. And what we do is we build digital products and services for the rest of Gov. Um, and for the past two years, I've been an anomaly in the system um, because I'm the only designer not delivering any design, but you know, trying to figure out how we can grow design rigor for about 80 plus people. In the last year, I shared some of my experiments at SD Now and UXC Summit. Um, so I'm not gonna talk a lot about my experiments today, um, but at that same conference was my ex-boss and mentor who, who talked about use of self. And when I heard his talk, my mind literally just exploded because I immediately saw how I had been using user self in the way I was growing as a designer and also how it was influencing the way that I was growing design bigger in other people. Now user self is a huge body of work and I tried to elaborate on this in a 30 minute talk but it was too difficult. So what I'm going to do is um, use some of my experiences and stories instead to show you what user self looks like um, rather than try to define it, um, connect the both um, for you. And, and what I'm gonna do is leave you with a different perspective of, of what design rigor could be. Okay. So in the first layer um, is technical craft. This is what we often you know, think about when we think about craft. It's the frameworks, methodologies, best practices and processes. Um, and it's stuff that HR loves uh, it's what keeps boot camps in business because it's doable, right? It's also the stuff that's easier to start with when we're new to industry. Um, and we do this and we learn this by repeating the process, repeating through until it belongs to us, right? So if you're learning Kung Fu, this is the equivalent of you carrying the water up and down the mountain every day and then going through the movements over and over again or maybe doing usability testing for six months, a year, and to build up that foundational uh, craft. And how I approach this in leveling uh, juniors up is a bit of like a triathlon. Um, so in this case, it's a usability testing triathlon. And um, what we do is three consecutive rounds um, where they learn the whole end-to-end -end process. And over that period of three cycles in three months, um, they start to build muscle memory um, and then they gain more headspace uh, and that allows them to become more independent um, in being able to do this on their own with some guidance 
And then that also gives me more headspace to go and help other people in the team. And you need that headspace because in design, we work with people and that's where the functional skills like listening, evaluating, reframing and so on come into play. Um, as you may have experienced, it's mm, the technical craft maybe doesn't matter so much if your stakeholders are not talking to each other or you, you have to help them you know, get to the root of the problem and that's where your functional skills come in, right? Yeah, so, so one is required for the other. Right. And I'm gonna zoom in on the evaluating and the reframing part of this functional skill um, because they represent what I think is a critical skill in design, which is perspective, right? The ability to look at the usual things with unusual eyes. And we do this in the technical craft a lot. You know, we draw six variations of uh, interface and then we expand on one. Um, we do diverge, converge. Um, so what I wanna do here is take the diverging and converging from the technical craft and bring it into the functional craft, right? So that we can build the range of response in the types of situations we could face when working on our craft. So let's look at two scenarios. Um, the first one, it's 7 p.m. and you still haven't prepared for your presentation at 9 a.m. tomorrow. So how have you responded in the past? And I'm gonna see if my... Okay, I don't think my polls are showing, so we're just not gonna use the polls, but just ask the question. Oh, here it is. Thank you, Steve. Like magic, and I need to get rid of the panel. Okay, so what are the responses um, that you could do, right? Work late on the deck, um, ask someone for help, or actually maybe I'll just go back and watch Netflix and wing it tomorrow morning. So if I could ask you to enter your response into the poll. Um, I'm not able to start it, Steve. Are you able to do that? The poll is started. Is it started? Okay. Right, so we'll just give people a few more seconds to put that in. And then um, Annabelle or Steve, like feel free to end the poll when you see enough responses because I don't have any controls. Um, and are you, are you able to show the results? Wow, okay, that's quite a lot. They're working late on a deck, brilliant. So let's go on to the second poll. Um, and close this one and go into the second scenario. All right, so in this scenario, Sam didn't follow the report template again. You know, that's not a standard of work. So would you get angry and confront Sam, um, report Sam to your boss or like whatever, I give up. So pick the one that you have responded in the past or what you most gravitate towards. Do we have the results? Okay, it's pretty even. Anger and giving up. Okay, that's great. Um, so let's close the poll. There's my mouse. Okay. 
right? So those were some ways of responding, but they're not the only ways of responding, right? And if we apply the divergent converge uh, concept here, um, in the first scenario, we could flip around the construct of time, right? Instead of saying like, oh my God, it's 7 p.m., it's 9 a.m. tomorrow, and freaking out, maybe I could think, what could I possibly do in the next one hour that achieves the same outcome so that I can still go home and do what I want to do, right? And could you like create some post-it outlines and use that as your guide for the presentation tomorrow instead of making a deck? Um, could you bring in the boards that you already have from research or design iteration or just print some stuff up quite quickly and put it up? Um, or could you come up with a role-play scenario that allows the stakeholders to experience the problems instead of you know, listening to you talk about them? Right? Or in, an, in applying diverse converge again, um, could you maybe look at it from a different angle? Um, instead of getting angry, uh, maybe don't understand why in a one-on-one -on -one chat. Um, and, or look at the report again and see like actually that Sam did follow some things and then these other things that Sam didn't follow are not so critical and you know, maybe I, I could let that go. Um, and then finally, like maybe, maybe Sam's not following the report template because she thinks it's outdated and it's not working anymore. So is this an opportunity for me to step back and, and say like, hey, Sam, do you want to collaborate on the, on the new template, you know, and, and give this a little bit of a refresh, right? So what we're trying to do here is to grow our generative muscle, that ability to think out of the box or to, to change the box um, and constantly diverge and converge to build the ways that we could change our range of response. Okay, so that's craft. And I, I'm gonna move on to the next layer. And I want to argue that self-care is also part of design rigor, right? Taking care of our mental and emotional and physical health um, so that we can show up at work with our batteries full and we can then go on to use and grow our functional skills um, that allow us to then use our technical skills, right? So self-care is important. It's paying attention to yourself, taking care of your mental, emotional, and physical health so that you have much more to offer to the world. Um, but here's the kicker. Self-care without self-worth only maintains the status quo, right? Self-care without self-worth only maintains the status quo. And that's a huge sentence, so I'm going to break it down by using that 7 p.m. Um, preparing for a 9 a.m. Prezzo scenario. So with self-care, taking care of your health will allow you to continue having some level of battery and headspace that allows you to be creative in how you respond to that situation, right? But without that self-work, where you actually start to think, actually, what, why am I always doing things in the last minute? What's happening here? Without using self-work to address the root of the problem, you may find that over time, your ability to self-care in this situation is not gonna have much of an effect because you haven't quite addressed the root of that problem. Okay. So I hope that helps to explain what I mean by self-care without self-work only maintains the status quo. And so self-work is the last part of design rigor. It's the ability to work on yourself. Um, and, you know, I don't think there is a work self and a personal self when we go to work. We are one self. And, and that's why I think like self-work is the most important part of rigor. So 
what I'm going to do is share four stories from my past experiences um, and use this to illustrate um, the first step that you can take in, into tackling self-work. And that first step is about paying attention to yourself and growing your spectrum of seeing, not about seeing further and wider, but about seeing inner and deeper, about self-awareness and growing that self-awareness so that you know what kind of emotions are coming up in your life. Um, and you start to become aware what kinds of behaviors are you doing after the emotions kick in? You know, do the do these emotions and behaviors change over time or do they actually remain the same? And then how much of those behaviors are actually habits, things that you do without maybe realizing? And a habit could be slouching, um, like this illustration here, or it could also be tensing. Um, and I used to tense a lot. Well, maybe not so dramatically, but I used to tense a lot. And, and, and I didn't realize this for the longest time until a colleague said, do you know that when you're upset, it, it's so obvious everybody knows, say, because of that tensing. And I never knew that until um, he told me. And so what I'm gonna do here is share with you uh, my first story and that's the story of habits. So this is what my life kind of looks like. I went to hospitality school in RMIT um, and then I stumbled upon UX uh, when I was 29. And then I just kind of shifted from being a generalist designer into a specialist researcher. And then I'm, now I'm doing this leadership thing called BN Octopus. Um, but in my experience design career, I've actually burned out three times in six years. That's a bit nuts. Um, and now with hindsight, I can tell you that the first time that I burned out, it was because I was working too much, uh, working too late. Um, and then the second time I burned out was because I was giving away too much of myself and not taking care of myself. Um, so I was volunteering in the local communities. I was helping to organize UX conferences and meetups. I was traveling for work. I was trying to grow my team. Um, yeah, so I burned out the second time. And then the third time was, was really my body giving up and, and going kaput because I, I hadn't really taken very good care of my body. So I'm going to ask you a question here now. Do you know what your habits are? And you don't have to share this in your chat. You can just write this down for yourself. Um, but yeah, do you know your physical habits, your mental habits, your emotional habits? And it's okay if you, you have no idea uh, or if it takes some time to you know, come to surface. Um, and that's fine. But I'll leave you with this question here and you can think about this on your own. Right. Because what's happening here is that with every habit, there is always a story behind it, a story that drives that habit. And what's behind that story um, are values. Values that say that story that continues to drive that habit is okay. Right? And if you Google the word values, you get words like uh, honesty, loyalty, um, but actually values are really beliefs that are formed from our past experiences. They manifest as um, things like you should do this or you shouldn't do that. Um, you must do this or you, um, you need to or, you know, things like that. It manifests that way. And what's happened here is that behind my story of habits was a belief of failure. 
And so that's going to be my second story. So long before I burned out three times in design, um, I got agoraphobia all of a sudden um, one day in my final year in uni. And I just got suddenly very afraid of people and I, and I couldn't go to class anymore. I couldn't leave the house. And, um, you know, that, that sparked a long period of recovery. Um, but what happened was that in, in Singapore in the 20th century was still very traditional. And if you didn't have a degree, you were pretty much a loser. And so not only was my country thinking I was a failure, um, my parents were, you know, understandably upset that I didn't graduate. And I probably thought that they thought I was a failure too. So this huge story of failure really drove my burnout because I kept pushing myself very hard. I um, took on more responsibility to show that I wasn't a failure. I didn't stop to ask for help because that would look like I wasn't capable and therefore I was a failure. Um, and I wanted to give back to the community that gave me so much in my, in my growth as a designer. But also I was really seeking um, validation from industry veterans you know, to that look at me and see how far I come and, and therefore I'm not a failure. So you, you can see how deep the threats run um, just because of that past experience. So here's another question for you. Do you know what the stories are behind your habits? And it's okay that you know, this takes a really long time for you to figure out. I mean, I only connected the two when I was 39. Um, yeah, but I would encourage you to keep peeling the onion and, and con constantly looking at your habits and trying to see what, what, what kind of stories are actually driving the things that I do. So we're gonna move on and I'm gonna jump back to craft. Like we looked at this earlier, right? The range of responding and using divergent covert. Um, so what's happening here is that like all these responses that you see here um, could easily be habits, continuously working late and not thinking about any other way of responding, um, continuously getting angry, continuously giving up, right? So what kind of stories do you think might be behind some of these habits? Um, so if I constantly work late on the deck, you know, oh no, I missed it up. Okay, so what's happening here? is um okay let me see how to recover this uh so what happens when we try to diverge and converge is that 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 ability to do so goes away when we're stressed right and when we're stressed um diverging goes out the door habits come in right and then yeah so the way that we respond to the situation is really based on habit. Right? So if I'm working late on a deck, maybe it's because I'm a failure. So therefore the work that I do must be perfect and therefore I'm going to make a deck. Um, if I'm you know, always asking someone for help, maybe this is because I find planning ahead so exhausting that I don't wanna you know, think about that. And if I am constantly running away, Netflix and winning it, um, Maybe it's, it's because I have a fear of presenting and I don't want to deal with that fear. So I, I, I'm just going to deal with it at the last minute, which is tomorrow morning. And then in the other scenario, um, when I get angry, maybe it's, it's because I think every detail affects our credibility. So every detail is important to get right. 
right? And then reporting this to the boss, well, maybe I feel like only authority can intervene. And then giving up, well, nobody sees the good that I do, so whatever, you know, I don't care anymore. And that can very easily turn into apathy. Um, yeah, so, so what's happening here is that when, when stress occurs, our ability to be divergent and generative goes away because all these um, stories that have driven the habits um, just kick in like a reflex. Um, and that self-awareness is really important um, because the things that we have deep in ourselves, those stories and those habits, can affect the world that we try to make around us. So here I'm going to go on to my third story. Um, so a couple of years ago, I brought two trainees to Shanghai um, to do some ethnography on WeChat. It was their first ever ethnography trip, and it was the first time I was bringing trainees to learn ethnography on a trip. Um, so we only had five days, and I had to take care of logistics, I had to take care of them, and um, we still had to figure out which places we were going to visit. Um, whether we could book any interviews outside of the guerrilla um, research. So, you know, there was some level of stress there. And what I didn't realize then was that all my habits were starting to kick in. Um, working late, working hard, um, pretty fast paced. Um, and even when we got back to the Airbnb, you know, we didn't really stop talking about research. Uh, until like maybe 10, 11 p.m. So that was very, very little um, rest. And I didn't realize how tired the two trains were until the very last day when we were having lunch and I had asked some reflective questions about the experience. And I'm so thankful that I had asked those questions and I'm so thankful that they shared how tired they were because otherwise I would never have known and they could have actually some unresolved trauma from the experience um, that may go on to affect the way that they do their work. Right? Yeah. And so coming back to that self-awareness, um, it also sometimes reveals the things that we try to avoid um, and how the things that we avoid actually have an impact on the work that we're trying to do. So coming back to the present day, um, I wasn't hired to grow rigor in GDS government digital services. Um, I wanted to do this and my boss said like, okay, I think this is, you know, we, we kind of need that. So why don't you come in and see what you can do? Um, so I came in, I did a lot of ground up experiments and conversations, tapping on my expert power. Um, but over the period of two years, what I was really trying to do was chase legitimate power to have a team, to have resources, um, to have the organization say like design rigor is important to us and we're going to make this real. Um, and I was chasing legitimate power so much, I think also because I didn't realize it at the time, but, but late last year, I realized that, that how much of this legitimate power was tied back to my story of failure, that that by having legitimacy, then I'm less of a failure, even though I was so far away from that story by now, right? And, and, and that the idea that if I was legitimate in the organization, then my parents would also think that I wasn't such a failure anymore. So you can see how long those tendrils are from, from our past experiences. 
Right? And I was so focused on legitimate power that I didn't realize that actually what I should be doing was growing my referent power. Um, in a large organization, you know, having more champions and ambassadors, having more people that could help me um, would probably be more helpful than, than having that le legitimate power. Um, but I think also maybe I was actually avoiding the referent power um, because if you think back to my um, social anxiety, what, what I've done is actually gotten very good at hiding. Um, and so I was actually like avoiding touching this referent power because I, yeah, like people are so difficult for me and, 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 and especially certain types of people like senior executives. So, you know, that, I think that's definitely like cognitively, I understood that like I needed to grow this power, but emotionally, I just didn't want to touch it. Right. And, and that's what self-awareness um, can help you do like understanding the things that you avoid. Um, so here's a wrap up of what I think design rigor includes. There's the technical craft, functional craft, the self-care that helps us keep going on full battery, and then self-work, the ability to work on yourself so that you gain clarity of your habits, your stories, and your values that are driving how you show up at work. Um, because that has such a huge impact on the ways we want to do our work or not want to do our work, right? And, and if we don't take care of the self-work, um, then the other parts of that process, um, you know, self-care feeding into functional craft, feeding into technical craft, um, might not happen so well. Um, so yeah, if you don't remember anything from this talk, it, and just one thing, um, I would hope that it's about self-awareness, growing that self-awareness and growing your divergent and generative muscles so that you can combine the two and induce it on your own self-work and constantly reevaluate. you know, what are my emotions happening here? What are the behaviors that occur after? What kind of stories and values are driving these things? Okay, so almost done now. And here is where I'm going to introduce the use of self. And you can see there are nine clusters actually in use of self from cognition and values and emotion and courage all the way to self-work, self-management and growth. And it's such a huge body of work. I really tried to define this, but it would have been too much. And I hope you can see from my stories and experiences how like these elements have been in play. And there's a report online, it was based on a research study that uh, me and Cheong Judge and David Jameson ran uh, in the last one to two years. Um, yeah, so there's a lot more detail on there that you can read. And if you want to chat afterwards about it as well, feel free to ping me on Slack. All right, so I'm going to leave you with some closing tips on how you can get started with self-work. Um, so we talked about diverging and converging in the craft. So, you know, technical craft, but also your functional craft. Um, so that when your reflex habits come in play, you have some muscle memory in that divergent thinking to help balance and counterbalance your reflex, right? So that you can go like, oh, hang on. Maybe I should look at this again, right? Um, when you have project reviews or sprint reviews, don't forget to talk about the emotions and what's happening for the team. Um, and then when you come home, 
don't forget to look back on what's happened in your day emotionally, habitually, and, and just look at things from different lenses or you know, thinking out of the box and changing the box. And then finally, seek feedback on the quality of your work, but also on how yourself has impacted your team while doing the work, right? In the WeChat uh, ethnography story, but asking, um, was there anything that I did that um, made the work difficult for you? Um, yeah, and if you don't know what's going on in yourself, um, what I found to be really helpful was to ask some trusted colleagues and friends at work to be my human mirrors, right? Remember like the tensing, I had no idea what was going on. Or maybe um, when I talk to certain stakeholders, I make a funny face. <laughs> I actually don't realize I make that funny face. Yeah, so we all need human mirrors because we can't see the things, you know, we can't see everything ourselves. And start where you are, you know, it sounds, it, it, maybe it sounds quite overwhelming to you, but start where you are and use what you have today and do what you can little bit by little bit. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, work on your, your self-work and your self-awareness. Um, so I'll leave you with one last question. What did you learn about yourself today? Again, you don't have to post it in the chat. It's really for yourself. Um, and that brings us to the end. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. That was wonderful, Samantha. Thank you. Um, we have a, a, a quick question from Amelia um, who asks, what helped you along this journey to Yoda level self-awareness? Yoda level? Uh, I don't know if I have Yoda level awareness. Um, I, I think if I if I look back, I think a lot of it started from trying to get better at the social anxiety um, because no one was going to get me out the door except myself. Um, so there was definitely a lot of self-awareness work there. Um, uh, and, and I think it just goes back to that, that idea that no one's going to help me. I have to help myself. And uh, um, yeah, so it's imagine like if you know um, you're rolling these little pebbles, and then over time it just builds up, and, and it, um, yeah, what you learn along the way just adds up and becomes this huge, you know, bigger, much bigger awareness. I'm not sure if I've answered that question very well, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's the first response that comes to mind. Uh, Jacqueline asked the question whether you've shared these experiences with your team, or do you think that's potentially a bad idea? I have. Um, I think I started doing that uh, in my previous company, which is Foolproof, and that was like four, five, six years ago. Um, because that was the first time that I had put on my CV that I didn't graduate because of social anxiety. I had always just put um, medical reasons. Um, and I think just saying that and, and you know, just changed the whole conversation in, in that team because then everybody knew I was coming in with that past condition and that's who I am and that's who I come with. But it has no um, impact on my work whatsoever because I've managed to um, grow out from that. And so anyone that came into the team, I would share my story with them because I, I felt like I didn't have anything to hide anymore. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much.
thank you for sharing those stories with us. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to reading the questions.